A reading is from Romans in the ninth chapter. But who indeed are you, a human being, to argue with God? Would what is molded say to the one who molds it, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one object for special use and another for ordinary use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience the objects of wrath that are made for destruction? And what if he has done so in order to make known the riches of his glory for the objects of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, <clears throat> including us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles? As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called children of the living God. Okay, a word of warning. Pastor Taylor asked me to do my call story this morning. So if you've ever wanted to sleep during a sermon, this is the best one. <clears throat> when I was growing up, my parents suggested that I become a lawyer because I like to argue with everyone. I think I'm about to prove their point, and I apologize in advance if lightning hits the church. <clears throat> Contrary to what Paul says, I have argued with God several times. I have to admit that one time I was swallowed by a big fish. I don't think I've ever argued out of anger or accused God of not knowing what they're doing, but other than having two hands. Since God always wants us to have a more fulfilling life, even when we don't get our way arguing with God, we always win because we're always better off after the argument. Being born into a military family, we moved around a lot. Church never seemed to be a priority for the family, except to me. When we were stationed in Italy, I became active in the Scouts. I decided to pursue the God and Country Award and got to serve as the acolyte in the post chapel, so my parents had to go with me. When we returned to South Carolina, the local scout troop was associated with Asbury, Asbury Memorial Methodist Church, so I started attending services there and got confirmed. In addition to often hearing at church that I was sinning by being transgender, my parents made it quite clear that I was wrong to feel like a girl. There were several incidents of my parents shouting and one in which I was threatened with a visit to the post-psychiatrist. It was never clear to me whether my cross-dressing or the need for a shrink would have been a bigger embarrassment to my family. As I approached college, science seemed to be a more reliable source to answers, and I began to pull away from the condemnation that I was feeling at the church. After some time, my transgenderism really bloomed and I started collecting a lot of clothes. I met a woman who I thought could fix me. In the search for a minister to Marius, 
We visited Methodist Church that had a young pastor named Steve Vincent, who insisted that we attended a few of the, a few of the services there. <clears throat> As we became more active in the church, my faith returned. It was at a conference in which I represented this church that I first felt the overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit. Under Pastor Vincent's guidance, my love for the Bible was kindled. Eventually, I went on to become a certified lay speaker and led the service several times. In the process of beginning this new journey to ministry, I located Steve again and we are still friends although he laughed at me for becoming a pastor. <laughs> After another lengthy absence from church initiated by relocation, my wife, Laura, was given a fatal diagnosis of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and we sought counseling from a Methodist agency. That reminded both of us of our faith. Laura made two predictions before her death. The first is that I would return to being Nancy, and that God had something for me to do. I couldn't see how either could possibly be true. How could God call an abomination? After Laura's death, I realized that I could no longer live the, other way, the way others wanted me to live. I was a pot made for another purpose. I had to face my own reality and begin, began my transition. I felt drawn back to the church, but at that time, the Methodist Church was again very publicly stating that my lifestyle, whatever that means, was not in accordance with the scriptures. By then, I was the sole caregiver for my mother, and getting away to church was not possible anyway. After my mother's death, my brothers invited me to leave town, so I did. I moved to Charlotte, where I had a few friends. One of them invited me to her UCC church. I felt welcome and comfortable there, but after a while, the three transgender women of the, who were in the congregation, including me, realized that we weren't being allowed to serve in any capacity. We couldn't even stand at the door and hand out bulletins. And half the con congregation was gay, so that was very surprising. So my friend and I decided to visit a church of a friend of ours who was a Lutheran pastor. In addition to being welcome, the whole liturgy and gospel-based sermon resonated within me. We never returned to the UCC. It was also in Charlotte that I began activism for the trans community. At our protests, we were usually countered by evangelicals. We were called weak and foolish, as the Corinthians text says. After all, why, should, why would someone in their right mind willingly give up male privilege? Clearly, in their eyes, we were low and despised. And to finish that text to Carla Redforth, I may not have been of noble birth, but at work I am known as the Empress of the Universe. Unpleasant circumstances forced me to move again, and a friend brought me here to the Boston area. I didn't really want to come north, because they have snow up here. You know? <laughs> In searching for a church, I contacted Lutheran Church of the Newtons, LCN, because it was listed as a reconciling congregation. Within five minutes, the pastor, John Stendahl, called me and assured me that I would be welcome. 
He even arranged rides with other members. Shortly after I officially joined LCN, pastor asked me if I would consider doing an adult forum on transgender 101 and how my faith and gender journeys were intertwined. Try as I might, I could not get the journey part on paper. Finally, on Easter morning, one of those patented divine two-by-fours got through to me that I did not have a gender journey. I was just becoming the woman God had called me to be. After that, the words just poured out of me. And with that presentation, my fear of not being accepted at LCN was cured. As Romans says, her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. I began to volunteer to do things at the church, like reading the scriptures, and kept being accepted and even appreciated. Of course, we always appreciate someone who serves in the church. <clears throat> and when I was allowed to assist with communion, I felt completely a part of the church. Back when I was young, I prayed nearly every night that God would take this desire to be a girl away, that I would be cured. As you can witness today, that never happened. I was not cured. For a long time, I assumed that my faith was not strong enough to heal me. But as my relationship with God grew, I began to realize that God had healed me. That is, that God has provided a way for me to accept and embrace my identity it even come to know that God called me to be a woman, just as I was called to be here in the pulpit. Author Kathy Black, Black reminds us, in biblical times, it was one sense of being in community that was most crucial. An illness or difference interfered with being within the community. This is where the healing is. I have been welcomed back into the community, and here I can also tell my story. It is not that my faith was too weak to affect a cure. It's that with God, there's a difference between curing and healing. I do not doubt that God could have cured me, but as John's Gospel declares, I was born this way that the glory of God might be revealed. I was healed when I came to understand this. During Lent 2011, pastor said something about communion only being for the baptized. I had no evidence that I had ever had a water baptism. It was my deep, dark secret. I had discussed it before with a couple of pastors, and they pointed to the evidence of the spirit within me that they could see as meaning that I had been baptized, so I dropped the request. After considerable soul-searching and Bible study, I decided I had to take stock had to stop taking the sacrament. Pastor Stendhal noticed immediately, and we talked about it. On Pentecost 2011, I was baptized. Yes, only eight years ago. And in the very place where it was said of them, you are not my people, there they shall be called children of the living God. And that's what I was that day. <clears throat> As part of that, I got to serve both communion elements to the pastor, and it was like a light, lightning bolt, sounded like this, <laughs> flowed through me from head to toe. In hindsight, I think this is when my call to ministry was sealed, but I didn't know it at the time. It would take me about another year to figure that out. 
very hard hit. Several weeks into my discernment, I was given the opportunity to lead a morning prayer service at a retreat for an LGBT inclusion team. There were about two dozen people, including six pastors. Why they asked me to do it, I don't know. During a break, a pastor, told, a pastor friend told me that there were alternatives for lay people in the Lutheran Church that could have me doing everything except administering the sacraments. I immediately felt the Holy Spirit standing there and said, not enough, Nancy, you've got to do the sacraments too. So one month to the day after that retreat, I found myself sitting in my first seminary class at Andover Newton. God can't take time. <laughs> he has to hurry with me. Early in 2014, I was encouraged to join Extraordinary Lutheran Ministries. And when I did, one of the people who welcomed me was one of the chaplains for the group. We shared our stories. A day and a half after joining, she sent me an email saying that she had just gotten her first call and that she had been on the regular preaching rotation at MCC Boston and asked if I would take her place. My head spun. After some deliberation, it was a lot of a deliberation. And visiting the church, I agreed and was assigned to preach in four weeks. Who knew I would actually like preaching? A fantastic opportunity came along for me to attend the Lutheran Seminary in Philadelphia. Unfortunately, I got assigned contextual education at a church that was not ready for LGBTQ plus folks in the pulpit. And that ended my chance for ministry in the Lutheran Church. I returned here to the Boston area and started going to Andover Newton again because my sense of call would not let me quit. Shortly after that, I heard that the Philadelphia Seminary was closing, and then a few months later, that Andover Newton was closing. So now having closed two seminaries, <laughs> I'm at BU. <clears throat> What can go wrong, right? <laughs> I began to go through the process for ordination in the MCC. Part of that was doing an internship at Open Table Dinner Church right here at Harvard Epworth. Meanwhile, I kept complaining that I didn't get to preach often enough at the MCC. The guy who assigns preachers is also the facilities manager for Old West, so he introduced me to the pastor, Sarah Gerard. After preaching several times there, the council asked me to consider candidacy in the United Methodist Church. And on May 7th, Pastor Taylor was one of the people who punished me by saying that I could become a pastor. I've had the privilege of attending the New England Annual Conference for the last two years. This year, I saw an amazing outpouring of support for LGBT. LGBTQ plus folks, that, that they want full inclusion gives me great delight. But that the people are willing to fight the whole denomination is incredibly affirming. Some people may see trans people as foolish and shameful, but some of us have been called. And now many in the United Methodist Church are beginning to affirm it. Those who were not my people, I will call 
my people. So now we may boast in the Lord for the great mercy that God has shown us. A sign I saw not too long ago said that I have given Christ numerous reasons not to love me, and none of them changed his mind. Amen. Amen. Now let's sing together on page 2153 in the Faith We Sing hymnal, I'm going to live so God can use me. Please stand if you are able. <laughs> 